This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're turning our attention to legislation kicking around the state capitol designed to ensure that New Yorkers are aware of the medical services provided by the hospitals in their region, including abortion services and gender-affirming care. To discuss the issue, we're joined by Allie Bohm, a policy counsel at the New York Civil Liberties Union. Welcome back to the show, Allie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. And we're also joined by Gabriela Larios, a staff attorney with the organization. Welcome to the Capitol Press Room, Gabby. Thank you. Excited to be here. So what sort of disclosures would be required under this legislation and what type of health care facilities would be covered by this? So this applies to general hospitals. And that's what you think of as your big hospital with an emergency department that people might come to for any type of care at all. And that's important because when people come to their general hospitals, they expect to be able to access any type of care they might need. And unfortunately, that's not true in all hospitals. So what this requires is for the Department of Health to collect from general hospitals a list of their policy-based exclusions. And so that's not, oh, we don't have a podiatry department, right? If you don't have a podiatry department, probably no one's coming there for podiatry. Or we don't have bed space available. That's a thing that will you know, ebb and flow. Or your insurance doesn't cover it. But rather, we have the facilities to provide the care. We are licensed to provide the care. We have providers who are licensed to provide the care. The care is medically indicated, but hospital bureaucrats have decided we don't do this, this type of care here. And that's what the department is going to collect. And the department is going to put bans on care into human-friendly language and post that on their website, probably using the existing hospital comparison tool, although it will be up to the department where they post it, so that people have access uh, to find out before they show up at a hospital, before they get on the phone to call a hospital, whether that hospital is going to provide the care they need. And then importantly, the department is also going to report that information publicly and to the legislature and the governor uh, with a particular focus on where there are regions that may not have access to comprehensive health care and how those access to care varies by community, race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. And this will hopefully lay the groundwork to expand access to care around the state and eliminate health care deserts around the state. Well, are there certain types of medical services that you anticipate will be on this list if it became law or, or certain types of medical services that you think people really need to know aren't available in their communities? After the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, we expect more than half of states in the country to ban abortion care, and many already have. We also know that uh, states around the country have considered, are considering over 130 bills to ban gender-affirming care. And 17 of those bills have become law. So we expect we, some providers are already seeing an increase in patients coming to New York for care that may increase wait times. And both those patients who are traveling to New York, but importantly, New Yorkers who are in those communities shouldn't have to call around hospital to hospital to hospital to find out whether that hospital is going to provide that care. They should have a centralized way of finding it out. But it's not only about abortion care or gender affirming care. Some of the types of care that we have seen denied uh, that people have told us stories of include artificial reproductive 
health technologies, things like freezing one's eggs, tubal ligation after C-section. We know that there are denials of some types of end-of-life care. There are denials of dialysis and other types of advanced life support, organ transplants from living donors, some prenatal diagnoses, and sometimes even referrals for these types of care. We heard the story of a woman in Spring Valley who thought she'd have a tubal ligation after her C-section, only to find out that that hospital that she was scheduled to deliver in didn't allow her to have this tubal ligation due to that hospital's institutional policies. And this was a hardship for her. She might have chosen a different provider if she knew that her options were going to be limited. But as you can imagine, changing doctors in the middle of a pregnancy is not something most people want to do. Then they're met with the surprise that the kind of care they thought they could get is actually unavailable. We've also heard from providers working at hospitals across New York State who say that they have to test for a fetal heartbeat when a patient is having a miscarriage, even when that miscarriage is clearly inevitable. And if that heartbeat is detectable, then they have to wait for signs of infection before treating it. So you have people in New York State who are experiencing miscarriages and are languishing and sometimes going from quasi-septic state and facing life-threatening medical trauma because of that that patient's only hope becomes a sympathetic provider who will transfer them to a facility that isn't subject to those same kinds of restrictions. Well, how do you envision New Yorkers potentially taking advantage of this list? Because under that first scenario that Gabby laid out, the consumer just assumed they would have access to the care that they couldn't access. So it's not like they were proactively reaching out to the hospital, and I have to imagine they wouldn't proactively check or even know that there was a state list of uh, services that were going to be excluded. So how would people find this site? Because, Ali, you mentioned the hospital comparison tool. You had to jog my memory that that even existed, and this is something that I'm supposed to like know about because I cover state government. That's totally fair. One of the things the bill does is it adds the existence of policy-based exclusions and the existence of the website to all of the existing disclosures that hospitals and health insurers have to make to patients. And that's one way that we hope it will get out there. We also hope that the department will do some educating of the public about it. I think there's a real challenge here. What we have found is that hospitals are not transparent about what care they do and do not provide. You're not necessarily going to be able to find out about a hospital's denial from going to that hospital's website. And I'm going to ask Gabby to say a little bit more about that in a second. But the thing that I wanted to say is that Washington State considered or passed legislation requiring the hospitals themselves to disclose. And what the hospitals ended up doing was disclosing in such convoluted and complicated language that a normal human could not figure out what they were talking about. It'd be like, we offer all methods of natural family planning. And if you, you know, aren't in the know, maybe that sounds like you they offer all methods of family planning. And what they're really saying there is we don't offer offer contraception. We will talk to you about managing your, you know, cycle and counting where you are and you know, determining whether to have sex accordingly. So having the department as an intermediary here is actually a strategic move to make sure that that information gets to people in a language that the average person who is not a healthcare expert can understand. Although it certainly, you know, I think to your point, will require a little more 
getting the website out there. And that's, you know, that's what adding it to the existing disclosures is, is meant to do. And we hope that the department will choose to do more. Well, you mentioned that bad experience in Washington state, but why should we let that preclude New York from trying a similar model, but with better regulations, for example, requiring the disclosure not be written in medical ease and ensure that the Department of Health is monitoring the hospitals as they would implement something like this to ensure that it is understandable and comprehensive? The First Amendment does give hospitals limited protections against compelled speech. And those limited protections have to be balanced with the right of individuals to know what health services are and are not available in their communities. We unfortunately know that we have a Supreme Court that is very sympathetic to speech and specifically to anti-abortion speech. And we know that abortion is often, you know, a type of care that is is denied. So we decided not to put the burden on the hospitals because we don't want the hospitals to be asserting their First Amendment rights, not to talk about the types of care that they refuse. And we know that hospitals choose not to talk about it regularly because it is really hard for a, you know an average human being to find out that information now. But hospitals don't have a First Amendment right to withhold information from the regulatory bodies that oversee them. And in the case of hospitals, those regulatory bodies are the Department of Health. And so nothing stops the Department of Health from collecting this information and nothing stops the state from speaking for itself. So this is really about how do we get this information to people effectively as possible, but also how do we craft a law that is likely to withstand judicial scrutiny if there is a hospital, and I think there are many, unfortunately, who want to hide the ball about what types of care they refuse to provide. So because of the secrecy surrounding hospital policies, information is really difficult to find on hospital websites, and communities facing mergers have a very hard time identifying what services will be lost because this website, because their hospital's website doesn't provide that comprehensive information about the kinds of services it doesn't provide. And this hospital um, comparison tool that discloses what services are not provided would be really essential for communities to hold their local hospitals accountable for providing comprehensive services. And it'll help move the conversation from private boardrooms when communities are facing mergers out into the streets so that community members are empowered. Is it possible that there are services that hospitals offer in such a limited capacity that it's the same essentially as not offering at all, whether there's maybe a very long wait time for a service or it's prohibitively expensive. And so if if that's the case, is it possible that the list could be less meaningful because of that? So we do know that there are hospitals that provide care to certain types of people and not to other types of people. A lot of these denials of care violate existing law. However, because they are happening, people should know about them. So, you know, a couple of the examples I think about are most hospitals will provide tubal ligation after C-section to some patients who they think deserve it. And that has something to do, you know, they will call it cancer prevention, but that has something to do with, you know, how many children have you had and, you know, what is your profile? We received a story from a trans and intersex person who contacted a hospital in the New York City area to set up a consultation to discuss bottom surgery and was basically told, 
we can't make an appointment for you because we don't see intersex people for bottom surgery here. So that got really specific, right? Trans people, okay. Intersex people, not okay. And so one of the other things that the legislation requires is for hospitals to share with the Department of Health or Department of Health to collect information about where care is denied to certain people, certain categories of people, even if it is provided to other people. Another example, um, and this one is from another state, but you know, we've certainly seen hospitals that will provide hysterectomies to cisgender women with cancer, but will not provide hysterectomies to transgender men with gender dysphoria. That's discrimination. And that is something that the, the hospital transparency legislation is very much designed to collect information where care is denied to particular types of people, even if it is provided within the hospital more generally. So to capture that discrimination, the question you ask about what, you know, what if it is provided, but there's only one provider. And so the wait list is very, very long that it's not going to capture because where the hospital is providing the care, it actually probably makes sense for someone to call and, you know, try to get an appointment. And if they can't perhaps get a referral to another place that is different from categorically we don't provide this or categorically we don't provide it to the class of people you belong to. Well, we've been speaking with Ali Bohm and Gabriela Larios of the New York Civil Liberties Union. Ali and Gabriela, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you for having us. Great talking to you. Thank you. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Support for the Capital Press Room is provided by the Boom Moose Club in Albany, a co-working space for people with business at the Capitol or those just needing a home base for the day. More information on facilities and other services available at bullmooseclub.com.